Greetings once again. It is time for another edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Symporium. My name's Justin Lee, joined by Adam Swenson and Brandon Lee. Good morning, gentlemen. Good day to both of you. Good morning. It is the 5th of December in this lovely year of 2020, and we do have actually quite a lot of things to talk about. It's been about a month since we've been on. Um, obviously, a lot of moving and shaking happened in uh, happening in Pistons land, uh, also in Detroit Lions land, which I, I definitely want to talk a little bit about that. You know, normally, my, my wanting to talk about the Lions is in negative territory. We've, we're actually above zero now. Um, but plenty of other things to talk about Well, as well. NBA season will be starting soon. We've got some Masters to cover. Uh, even want to touch on a little bit of Golden Grizzlies uh, basketball here. And, um, yeah, whatever else we might think of on this Saturday morning. I actually think the most topical thing, and rarely do I think this, but it, it is the Lions. And, you know, we've talked about them quite a lot and i i swear and i didn't go back to listen to the tape but i swear our conclusions were roughly around the fact that patricia and quinn were going to be around for a while um and yet just because of the contracts and yet we you know after the debacles of this season i mean i mean debacles of the entire time patricia's been coach um but certainly this season uh, they both got tossed out the door very appropriately after the most recent debacle on Thanksgiving. So um, is there surprise to you that it happened now as opposed to season's end or next year or whatever? Uh, in the last show, we started alluding to the fact that they probably won't, were not going to be here past the season. Uh, and I, I, and I did look, go back and look, and I think that, that, that was our big takeaway, just because, uh, and, and I think in Brandon's words, were, that there wasn't much of a path forward with this particular team. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, like, you know, last season you can make the argument that they didn't have Max Stafford. And I think Ling, if you do not have a good backup quarterback in the NFL, it could very much an uphill battle. Uh, and I think you, you could understand the retaining of them going into this year. But the point being is that you go into this year, uh, and, and basically, I mean, there, there, there was no path forward of seeing this, uh, tandem, uh, do something better than what they were doing. Uh, and then, of course, then you get past the, the announcement and you really get a, a better, more transparent view of the locker room, which, you know, you were led to believe that there was a lot of, of changes, you know, especially with Matt Patricia, uh, whether it be his dealings uh, down in Mobile last year as a coach uh, for the Senior Bowl, or where it had to be, you know, and, and I mean, really, the, the response of this team during training camp was fairly positive. Uh, but, uh, and, and then all of a sudden, the, obviously, the wheels uh, fell off the cart, both from a performance execution, but also from a perception standpoint. So, yeah, you know, I think, well, wow, where to begin? Um, you know, I think really what turned it versus 
midseason, end of season was the Carolina game. I mean, there's no – there was just no way around that. You lost to a team that was missing the reigning MVP and they started an XFL quarterback, and you got shut out. I mean, you just can't – you can't come back from that. And I think had the Thanksgiving Day game not been four days later, they would have been fired that Monday. But it didn't make sense to go ahead and fire them with a short week. Um, you know, so – it was just – they're just a terrible coach. And, you know, I don't think Quinn did much better. Um, and I think the thing that really killed, you know, their prospects was just – clearly the Lions and Stafford are no longer up here. I just I can't see a world where he's here next year. Um, and I think that a new head coach, a new regime comes in and drafts the quarterback of their future. Uh, you know, and I guess Stafford could hang on one more year. But I hope – give him a shot to win somewhere. Um, you know, I hope he's got enough good football left in him. Um, you know, as far as the, 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 the reaction, I mean, just, you know, forgetting the guys currently on the team, the former players, the way they came out against Patricia, that's really rare in the NFL. Incredibly rare. Just shows you how reviled he was uh, and how disrespected he was. Now there's your Eric Ebrons and your Darius Slays, who, you know, are pretty loud guys, you know, don't always say the smartest things. They, of course, came out and came, came after him. But two other guys, Stephen Tullock and Glover Quinn, both of which who have won awards for being, you know, humanitarian awards, sportsmanship awards, very active in their communities, both still active in Detroit. I mean, Stephen Tullock came out and just slammed it. I mean, just absolutely tore him apart. And this was, you know, a 12-year NFL veteran, you know, again, uh, you know, won several awards for – work he's done in the community and was a leader on the team when he was here and just yeah, generally considered an all-around good guy, same for Glover Quinn, and they just bashed the guy. And that's really, really rare. And I think it just tells you how badly uh, how badly his time in Detroit uh, from, from a, you know, just a basic respect standpoint. And, and, and we can add Dan Orlovsky onto that too. Yep. Um, oh, granted, he's a commentator now and, and what have you. Um, so paid to say things, but he was, um, yeah, he, he was extremely harsh in his criticism, not of his coaching necessarily, although that too, but just of his attitude. And, and I think that's, that's a large part of it. And again, I think we've touched on this in the past is, you know, we are bringing in a couple of guys from, you know, the Patriots, I mean, I mean, there is been no better NFL franchise in our lifetimes. I mean, yeah, no, there hasn't been. Um, maybe individual teams, but not, you know, franchises. And, um, and you know, they came in with a certain swagger, which to an extent is understandable. But boy, when you, um, when you don't perform, that just – that needs to go away. And I don't think it ever did. You know, and I think the, the big thing with both Quinn and Patricia, uh, and it's something that, you know, as I get older, I, I become more um, focused on is self-awareness. That, that neither of them were remotely self-aware, especially Patricia. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I think one of the things you're going to see is that when they do bring in a new coach and a new general manager, is going to be two people that are 
uh, um, uh, two people that have been part of multiple organizations. They have not been part of one organization, so they only know one way to do it. There are going to be people that have been uh, uh, coaches and general managers of, of, of or multiple organizations so that they're aware in multiple diverse organizations and what I mean by that are you know there, there, there's different ways of doing it and, and I mean Justin if you remember when they brought on Quinn but even more when they brought on Patricia you and I talked about and the one thing I called out was I was very concerned about the complete 180 of what was happening you you went from a Jim Caldwell player first coach player first everything to a uh, uh, to a New England Patriot, and I, I really, the biggest thing I said is that we have to watch what exactly is the impact of doing that 180 on this particular organization based on who they had to begin with, and that really did play out not well, but uh, but very much almost expected when you look at the big picture of things. Yeah, certainly, you know, in hindsight, it it's wildly clear, and I just, I never, truly never expected it to be quite this bad. Um, like, I, I, again, being at the point where I really just don't care about the Lions anymore from a fan perspective, but just right. looking at, at, at it as a, you know, I, I didn't think Patricia was a particularly great coach or a great choice, rather, at the time. But I didn't think it would just turn into this complete and utter disaster, a locker room disaster on top of a... Uh, on the field performance does that I never thought it would have gone this badly I would have expected pure mediocrity and that would have been the end of it and then we would have moved on to the next mediocrity right truly yeah Th this is way beyond as bad you know the worst case scenario I ever right. considered you, you know, and the, the curious thing is that when you're talking about NFL coaches, and I mean, you, you can extrapolate it across all leagues, but I think it, it's so true. It's even more true with the NFL is that you, you you're, the chance that you're going to go out and pick a really good coach is like 10%. I, I mean, because really when you think about, you know, the, the, the transition that takes place on most teams that are not the Chiefs, Saints, and Patriots, it, it's just this continual spinning door. But at the very least, you should be able to go out and get someone who is halfway respectable, uh, both from a human being standpoint and from a coaching standpoint. And in, in both ways, and again, I mean, you go back and to me, I, I you know, a couple of thoughts on revisionist history. First off, you know, when you went out, and you said, hey, what are we going to do? You said, hey, we're going to go with the Patriots. And, and not only that, the organization said, we do not know what we're doing. So they went to the NFL and the NFL said, we need to bring in someone that can advise us on how we're supposed to do this. So they bring in Ernie Corsi. Ernie Corsi sits down and says, hey, Bob Quinn, best interview of a general manager I've ever you know, because Ernie Corsi's done multiple of these consulting things. Oh, great. Looks good. Then you bring in a guy like Matt Patricia, who's been a defensive coordinator under Bill Belichick. It looks on paper to be absolutely fantastic, which I think in a, the majority of people thought, okay, this is all going in the, in, in, in the right direction. And I think the other thing is, is that, and by the way, 
can we get past the revisionist history? Jim Caldwell, you're a good man, but go away. I, I, th th this talk about Jim Caldwell, yes, he's a good man, but quite honestly, I still remember the Baltimore game. I still remember the Cincinnati game of his last season. It was horrific. You, 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 and you couldn't hire a court. That was, that was the amazing thing. As different as Caldwell and Patricia were, between the both of them, they couldn't hire a coordinator to save their life. Yeah, I, I, I... And and as I think of Caldwell, I mean, there were a lot of things we were frustrated about with Jim Caldwell. There's no question about it. But 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 the issue that I the umbrage that I take with Patricia and Quinn is their attitude was we need to fix this franchise. You know, when they didn't perform out of the gate, that was their thing. We need to fix this franchise. Caldwell at least was 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 a B minus B level guy. You know. So the only thing Patricia was coming in to do was to win. There, there was no fixing that needed to be done. Um, I mean, there was some, but not, not like this. We got to overhaul this franchise. I mean, that's just complete garbage. And so, um, you know, were the Lions going to take the next step under Jim Caldwell or what have you? Probably not. Um, had he kind of worn out his welcome in some areas? Yeah. But they, you know, but again, it gets to this them carrying an attitude of winners and champions and we can do no wrong when in, in, in the context of New England, fine. But in, in maybe in the first year you're here, fine. But after that, no. No, you that 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 diminishes. And there's no excuse whatsoever and why Bob Quinn had to go. There's no excuse whatsoever from bringing in a coach who loses his locker room the way Patricia did. I mean, how did they, how did he not know that? How did he not know that? I think again, it was arrogance and a complete lack of self-awareness. That's really what that came down to. And it's a real shame because I think it could have been so much better than it was. And it just. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was not a big Caldwell fan, um, but he got the team to the playoffs a couple times. And I just love to use Jim Caldwell as a reflection of how, Awful Matt Patricia is in every way. I hope I hope he never gets a head coaching job in the NFL again. Um, or if he does, that he goes on sixteen. <laughs> I mean, he's just so bad. I just it's it's unbelievable that you could tank a team that you know again seven and nine and seven. You know the mediocrity point Justin made. I think. <clears throat> but just to, to tank so badly. Just wow, kudos. You are certainly perhaps the worst NFL head coach in the last 10 years. So congrats. And, and, and perhaps one of the worst, if not the worst, Lions head coach of all time. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean giving old Marty a run for his money. Yeah, I was just going to bring up Marty. And, and, you know, but at least everyone didn't hate his but guts. That team, that team was catastrophically bad. Correct. Both Lions teams had no talent. You could not find talent on that roster. Right. Though they, they were some catastrophic teams, and Nolan and Morningman did nothing to help their own cause. But I mean, Quinn was given the opportunity to have several classes and spend a whole bunch of money, a whole bunch of free agents, and they still couldn't. And, and they had legitimate talent on this. And they had a quarterback. Um, and again, you know, for the last couple of years have been difficult, but you know, I'm still a very good quarterback in the NFL. 
Goodbye. I, I never want to talk about them again. <laughs> not a good team. They're not well. <laughs> Had to get that one in. So let's let's um, move on. Well, uh, I guess what, what do we see? One one last question here. What what do we see for the rest of the season uh, for the Lions? Does it even matter? Um, you know, I think they might scratch out another game or two. I hope they get the highest possible draft pick, of course. Uh, they draft the best available quarterback. I think it's time. Um, you know, their schedule is still pretty – again, this is the ridiculous thing. You know, those they could have easily won those games. Carolina, XFL quarterback. Houston, yeah, Deshaun Watson is incredible. Uh, but, you know, they have a terrible defense. Uh, so, you know, those were winnable games. And, you know, the, again, they could have scratched out eight wins this year. We talked about that at the beginning, even as bad as – I thought Patricia was. I had to concede to Adam's point that they could they could scratch out, you know, a, a quasi-respectable record. So they may seven games. I don't know. I think two things I'll say. I think at first, uh, the, the, it'll be interesting to see how the players respond to Daryl Bevel uh, yeah. and, and what happens because it has been, you know, alluded to that there is a chance that Daryl Bevel would be, uh, maybe they would retain Daryl Bevel uh, at, at maximum as the head coach, which um, I'm not, you know, I I don't know. I, you know, and I, I you know, and I think two, two things I'll say. I don't know how much of an impact that Daryl Bevel had uh, in terms of, or excuse me, Matt Patricia had on Daryl Bevel's play calling. Uh, so that's something to watch out. I'm, I'm not convinced, uh, it, it, and don't get me wrong, it's not my, my hope or desire, but I'm not entirely convinced that we've seen the last of Matt Stafford uh, on, on this team. I think maybe he does have a few years left. And the only reason I say that is that, again, it, it, is this one of those things where, even Max Stafford got to the point where he just was uh, unenthused, uh, you know, complete lack of enthusiasm of playing for uh, 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 Matt Patricia. Uh, and I think that might be the most telling thing that we see the rest of the season. Uh, and, and, and again, I think the other thing will be is that, you know, as we get closer uh, to the end of the season, there's going to be more rumbling, you know I mean? Uh, if, if, you know, you know, I think at this point you're, you know, you want to talk about who they're going to bring in, uh, you, you, you're basically looking at, I, in my mind, uh, two, three names off the top of my head that I think that are going to be, you know, their top ranked choices. Uh, you're going to see, uh, um, uh, Eric Bienemy, which I'm not really a fan of, to be very frank with you. Uh, Robert Sala, uh, from, uh, San Francisco. Uh, and I think one, one name that I don't think it's been talked about a little bit, but I, I would not be surprised if a Marvin Lewis who's not considered uh, for this particular role. Uh, and, and of the three, uh, I'm very enthused by Marvin Lewis and I'm very enthused by Robert Sala. I'm not particularly enthused by Eric Bieniemy because I think uh, he follows the same track that you had with Matt Patricia in terms of being a, a person who is uh, um, getting a lot of success off of their head coach who's calling a lot of the plays. So, that's that. I, uh, I would agree on all counts with Adam. And, and, and the name, by the way, I want in the front office, if I'm a Lions fan, is Ed Dodds. That, that's the A number one choice. If you, I don't care what you have to do. Bring in Ed Dodds, please. Uh, the, you know, you think about him. He was in Seattle when Seattle was an A number one awesome team. He went to Indianapolis. 
uh, and, and when you're working with Chris Ballard, and they become very good. And I think between the both, and they have worked together, Robert Sala and uh, um, uh, Ed Dodds. So, so that, that's my thought there. So One dark horse uh, I'll throw out for uh, general manager is Thomas Dimitrioff, uh, formerly of the Atlanta Falcons. And he would be someone I would be very interested in the Lions looking at. <clears throat> he built the Falcons into – you know, a fairly steady contender. You know, things fell apart, um, you know, here in the last year. But he's a very good general manager. Uh, I think would be someone that they would, Lions would do well to look into. Just not John Dorsey, for the love of God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and and, God. and going back to Thomas Dimitrioff, the one thing he does have against him, uh, it, it is thought to be against him at this point, is that he was part of the Patriot organization before he went to Atlanta. But again, that was many moons ago, many, many moons ago. So, Yeah, and he didn't completely suck after he left the Patriots. So he's got that going for him. Correct. Thomas Dimitrioff. Oh, I disagree. I would totally disagree. I mean, he built the Falcons into a team that made it to the Super Bowl and had right. a team that choked right. out applesauce should have won. He did right. not suck after he left. Yeah, that's what I said. Is that? Oh, yes. oh, 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 I think yeah. he sucked after this. No, 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 no. No, that's what he's got going for him apart from Quinn and Patricia. Gotcha. Yes, thank you. Okay. We're, we're trying to violently agree here. <laughs> we violently agree. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's move on to an organization that somehow is less dysfunctional in the Detroit Pistons and Troy Weaver, who's Trader Troy here, who's just been wheeling and dealing and completely overturned the uh, roster. And and Brandon's looking very distressed here for those of you without the video feed. So uh, why don't you start on your thoughts on this? So fast. I, I just, I almost need a spreadsheet to explain what has gone on. And I, I know of the three of us, I am the, more of the resident NBA guy, but oh my goodness. I mean, I don't even know how to frame this other than like there's three options here. Um, this will go down as one of the most catastrophic off seasons uh, in recent NBA history. That's one. <laughs> this will go, this was basically a, a very well-crafted prelude another absolutely insane offseason next year um, in which a lot of the guys that they picked up on the roster this year won't, won't even be in town from the trade deadline. Uh, or three, um, you know, set them down a path for and – I, and I guess this is kind of similar to one, but just extended mediocrity. Um, you kind of got to – you know – point you could siphon things off into like draft versus free agency but um I'll, let me i'll say this the three guys they picked um in the first round are i'm happy with all three picks uh killian hayes who i mentioned on the previous show was i thought the most likely guy that they would select uh, a big point guard very good playmaker will take some of the lift off blake griffin and that's in that respect Sadiq Bay from Villanova is widely considered perhaps the biggest bar course of the draft. Um, and then Chris Stewart, they reached on, but, you know, I think he's got a lot of potential, a little bit of Ben Wallace, and uh, good to, but much better touch around the rim. So all happy there, um, but just the trades just made no sense. Um, dealing four for second-round picks, you know, I was happy they got rid of Kanar. That was the right move. The Christian Wood move, I could could go either way on. I'm personally surprised they moved him, but you know, 
fair enough. Um, uh, the free agency signings is where he really fell on his face. Mason Plumley, awful signing. Could, could not could not make a worse signing for a team that's rebuilding to spend that much money on a 30-year-old guy who's, you know, he's an average bench player, maybe slightly above average bench player. And then Jamari Grant is a much better than Mason Plumley. Um, that kind of money. And so, again, you know, with Plumley, are they going to deal him, you know, at the end of the year? And there's a whole series of moves below that. They made absolutely no. Um, he's doing a lot of maneuvering around stretching contracts to save money. And again, that's why I'll reference that second line there. If he's trying to do some really funky things with their finances to make a couple of very big free agency splashes, that's possible. Or a couple of, you know, big, you know, kind of e-contract kind of trades uh, going into the next soft season or two, but just bizarre. Like, you know, if we, we can spend an hour, you know, on the offseason and just how bizarre some of these moves are. But takeaways, you know, they handicap themselves uh, through free agency. And then they have, I think, two A draft picks in Sadiq Bay and Tony Hayes uh, and a reach in Stewart. And so, you know, we'll see. I mean, it'll be more exciting to watch. Um, the, the guys they drafted will be dynamic. Um, so it'll be interesting from that standpoint, at least, but just bizarre. You know, my big takeaway when you're you, when you take everything into consideration, especially uh, when you consider the trading of of Kennard, <laughs> is the fact that basically this team is infinitely more athletic than they were before, right? So I think that's you know, and and you know, I like the Grant move just based on the fact that I think again. Uh, um, it, it was a team that wasn't very dynamic from the defensive standpoint last year. Uh, uh, and I think Grant definitely, uh, you know, he, mm -hmm. he gives you two things, right? He, he gives you a tremendous, uh, uh, a tremendous def defensive player, uh, along with a, a guy that really is uh, really efficient from shooting from outside. Uh, and I think from that, that standpoint, I like that move. Uh, and, and to the draft picks, I mean, when you're looking at a Killian Hayes uh, uh, and, and, and Saban Lee, uh, both of those players very much to me are, are again, going on, on that realm of uh, and going on in, into that direction of being athletic. And I think that's the one thing with the NBA, you've got to be a, as athletic as you can be uh, uh, um, in, in this particular league. Uh, I, and, and to your point, I, I don't know what to make of it any more than you do, just based on the fact that there, there, there's a lot of, there's all this maneuvering where you're down to now four guys that were on the roster from last year. Uh, uh, but, but, and I, I think the real challenge when you think about it though, is, is that when, when you're dealing with the NBA, all these contracts that they signed were three years, uh, uh, and, and, you know, and, you know, obviously it looks like, you know, there, there's a little bit of a long-term strategy. Uh, and, and I think with Dwayne Casey, uh, I'm, I'm curious about what he can do with these players that you brought in. And there's no doubt in my mind that Dwayne Casey played a large role in the moves that Troy Weaver did. So. Yeah. You know, Casey's a good coach and, um, I'll, I'll certainly be interested to see what he does there. I'll pick a few nits. You know, I, I don't think Kellyan Hayes is particularly athletic. Um, and so that's, that's where I was a little bit confused. Um, a lot of the other moves trended in that direction. He's, he's just a really big point guard. Um, Saban Lee, he is athletic, but just didn't need to be selected at 38. He could have been signed as probably undrafted. 
um, which was my issue with that pick. But he is he is athletic. Uh, Jamari Grant, yeah, I mean Jamari Grant is a good basketball player. Um, you know he is, but he's Contavious Caldwell Pope. I mean they're the same player. Uh, he may be a little bit better, than but he's a three and D. I mean there, there's there are Diamond Danny Green, Contavious Caldwell Pope, Jamari Grant, you know, a handful of other guys are called three and Ds. Um, why? Why? You know they're usually used to round out playoff caliber, championship championship caliber rosters. Um, you know, and maybe he's he's out there to pair with you know the Derrick Rose obsession because Derrick Rose can play defense. You know, so maybe he's a guy that they want to put out there with Rose and to help Killian Hayes a little bit. Um, you know, from the guard standpoint. So, but it, you know, again, it, it just it seemed it seemed like a bit of a, a move to handicap them. And three years isn't catastrophic to Adam. Uh, but taken together, you just spent like $90 million or whatever um, on two bench players last year. Um, I, I, yeah. When you got so – especially when you're three first-round picks that you want to give minutes to, uh, spending $90 million on bench guys is a little bit tough for me to spot. Um, I, I'm excited, though. I'm excited to watch this team. And there will be some very interesting starting five combinations and, and just – uh, excuse me, uh, just lineups. Um, it'll be fascinating. Killian Hayes will be fun to watch. City will be fun to watch. Um, some of the young guys, some of the few holdovers they have will be fun to watch. So um, definitely a more interesting season than last year. Even yeah. They- uh, say that last part again. <clears throat> I said it'll be very fun to watch this year, even if they don't win, you know, many mm-hmm. games than they did last year. Yeah. You know, I think Grant will be very interesting to watch uh, in a starting. I mean, they're going to, he's going to need to carry weight, not carry on those other teams. And it'll be interesting to see if he succeeds. You know, this, that could be a really, really good signing and it could be a terrible, terrible signing. Um, Just, just the dollars associated. A lot of it hinges on Blake Griffin. Um, and this is where I really can't figure out what Trey Reaver's doing. I can't figure out if he's trying to set up a series. If this is a cascade, then he can actually do some crazy stuff next year, too. Yeah. Or if he actually thinks Blake Griffin is going to be healthy, and he thinks that Killian Hayes and Sadiq Bay can make enough of an impact early on with some of these other pieces, and that's why he signed Plumley is to have the depth off the bench because he thinks the team's actually going to make a run of the playoffs. And maybe that's where Boris is pushing him. You know, my hope is that this is a setup offseason for a large offseason where they acquire uh, a, a significant, you know, star to replace Griffin. I think the challenge, though, is that you can't do that through free agency, right? I, I don't, I don't uh, think yeah. you can do that. Uh, you know, you, in order for them to get a good free agent, they have to keep Blake Griffin because then that would then go ahead and attract someone. Uh, and, and, and I think the other thing I'm going to say out loud is that, you know, I think before we get too far down the road of really evaluating this team, we've got to also kind of consider that they do play in the Eastern Conference, which, I don't know, to me, the Eastern Conference is, is very extremely wide open. And I'm not going to tell you that, oh, I think they're going to compete for the Eastern Conference. No, I'm, I'm not going to say that. But based on where the Eastern Conference is, I can see where some of these signings somewhat make sense from the standpoint that may, maybe it, it not only does it get you in, in a 
uh, uh, NBA playoff Eastern Conference, but maybe it gets you past that. And again, kind of more, you know, on the argument that I make about the NFL, I think that there's a lot of parity in the NBA Eastern Conference, and maybe the, maybe this team is a little better than we give them credit for, but we'll have to see. So. But the other part that is, and I guess maybe you guys can explain this piece to me. Again, if we're setting this team up for some level of financial health, which seems to be possibly part of this. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, we picked up four mil a year in dead cap for the next three seasons uh, between Deadman and Smith. And actually, Dwayne Deadman's uh, contract is spread over five years, basically three mil a year in dead cap. Like, what did that really accomplish? Yeah, um, it was it, it was the only way that they could facilitate a lot of the other trades he was making. Yeah. I mean, and, the, and rather than taking the bigger hits, he chose to do the stretch. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I guess the interesting – the thing about Griffin, and this is where I think the things are interesting, is they've got approximately $60 million in cap coming off after next season. And I think that's what I'm where I'm wondering because you know Griffin's a 38 million dollar hit next year alone, but it's next year. Uh, and then Delon Wright comes off, and then a lot of these other signings, McGruber, a lot of these other guys they picked up via trade, you know, um, Jackson who they signed, uh, Jalil Okafor, small contract, uh, Musa. These guys that they're, they're their contracts run out at 21, 22. So. Um, he could potentially be making another run, and with Griffin, if Griffin plays well this year, he may deal the expiring contract to somebody to try to set up some other move, I don't know. But the problem is, and this is where I'm just so confused, is he just traded away four second-round practice. Like, if you're trying to get to the place where you're going to deal, wheel and deal, to Adam's point, we're not going to sign uh, one of the big guys, if you're getting unless you're trying to wheel and deal, why would you give away four second-round I, you know, I, 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 maybe on my side, I, I, and I had this conversation a week ago with uh, a pretty big Pistons fan, and I guess my takeaway is that I don't care about the second round draft picks. What, what they don't usually do anything for you. I think they've done a pretty good job. The Pistons have of, of bringing on players that have been productive from a second round draft standpoint, but really, and I, I don't. My general feeling is that they're not very impactful when all is said and done in the NBA. Uh, um, but. I, 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 I four of them, right? Together in one move. Yeah. No, I, I don't. I, and that, that, that itself, yes, is, is something to kind of sit back and kind of scratch your head on. Uh, but um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I mean, I think we're all on the same page. We're beyond curious about what exactly this this recipe that that uh, Mr. Weaver has put together, what, what it will look like on 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 the floor. Uh, um, but, uh, um, and, and to that point, I still, I'll stick to Blake Griffin. I, I think in order to get that next impactful player, you need a Blake Griffin to be healthy and you need Blake Griffin to stay as a Detroit Piston. And I'll be very intrigued to find out. And, and I think that, you know, the big mystery to me with Blake Griffin is does Blake Griffin want to stay uh, as a Piston? I think by default, many people go, well, no, no, he doesn't. But I think after being in L.A., uh, a guy that came from Oklahoma, I'm wondering if he's perfectly fine being in Detroit. Well, he, he will be next year because no one else is going to pay him $38 million. Uh, right. I, I mean, I think Blake Griffin wants to play in the NBA. I mean, that's where this is, right? I mean, he was non-functioning this year, and 
I think he's going, you know, this year to prove he can still play in the NBA or after his next, when his contract runs out, he's going to, I think he's worried about being on the, on the, I mean, that's where his career is trending. And so for this, this is a reclamation project. And I don't think the, the Pistons attract a superstar because of Blake Griffin. I think they, they get rid of his cap. He facilitate a massive three-way trade uh, to sign and trade someone else that, that another team can't, can't hang on to. Um, I actually don't think his career is going to have much longevity. I hope it does because he's a really fun guy to watch. And right. He's a good guy too. Uh, and if he were to somehow turn it around, the Pistons' chances are wildly improved. If he's the guy that they had two years ago that limped them into the, the first round, then this year could be a lot of fun to watch, and they could threaten for a low seed. But I'm, I'm worried that, you know, he looked so bad last year, so I'm, I'm a bit worried uh, that his career is really on a downswing. Yeah. Well, and one benefit of the pandemic uh, for a Blake Griffin is that he's been able to get the rest that, that, that he sure. needs. Uh, um, sure. And I think uh, uh, that, that that might be a real positive in terms mm-hmm. of the Blake Griffin world. So. Yes. Yeah, I mean – and, and that's really cascading across sports, um, largely, except for the NFL, really. Um, I mean, the, the pandemic has had, will have a very interesting impact on careers, minor league player development. Um, I mean, we have no idea what's coming. Um, so it'll be very interesting to see, but that, that'll be uh, fodder for future shows. Um, sticking in the world of basketball, I just thought it was kind of fun. After Oakland really, really did not do well, uh, they were able to uh, – what was it, Xavier, who crushed them um, not that long ago? Uh, they actually took the Wolverines to overtime. And then the Wolverines were like, oh, we should do something, and then won the game. But it, you know, that was pretty impressive uh, to see Oakland go out there and do a great job. Well, especially considering they played five days in a row, I think there was, or something, you know, very, very close to that. And they basically had no uh, preseason practice schedule based on the, the team getting COVID. COVID, yeah. Uh, and, um, you know, when, when you take that into consideration and then for them to go into, uh, um, you know, Ann Arbor and really challenge uh, <laughs> what is very, a very interesting Wolverine squad, especially as you're watching that particular game, uh, yeah, you, you're absolutely right. I mean, and, and you know, uh, Brandon, I, I wouldn't look at the, you know, the, the, this roster and outside of Oladipo, I barely recognize anyone. And, and to, you know, and to that credit, I mean, you had Greg Campy take a team that basically is almost all new players or at least new players in terms of playing any sort of pr- uh, prevalent time. Uh, uh, you know, in, in, in considerable uh, time on the floor for them to go in and, and do, especially with no practice and really a, a, a very, very challenging uphill swing uh, based on the game that they played to be able to turn that around and go into Ann Arbor, I thought was very impressive. Yeah, no, I mean, first credit goes to Greg Campion. He outcoached Juwan Howard badly um, from much of that game, running a one-one-three zone. Um, that Howard either didn't force his team to adapt to or didn't know how to adapt to. Um, it wasn't until Howard finally figured out that the size of the Wolverines had inside, particularly with freshman Hunter Dickinson, who just abused, yeah. who is going to be um, a phenomenal uh, college basketball player. Um, just, you know, once he figured out to just run the offense through him, you know, things turned. But 
well done by Campy because basically he knew Michigan had not established its playmaking ability um, at the guard level. Yeah, they still have not figured out who's going to be really running the offense, and a one, you know, a one-one-three zone really makes it difficult if you're pressing uh, <clears throat> the outside, and it really forces decisions from guards um, and some of the bigs. So uh, once they moved in, I think it's rough for Oakland. But on the Oakland side, you know, the exciting thing was the, the freshman play. I mean, Tim and Jalen Moore in particular it just looked like they had a lot of juice. Jalen Moore looked incredible uh, and has continued to play well, even in in the debacle with Purdue the other day. Um, he continues to play well. Townsend looks like looks good. DeYoung looks good. Uh, Williams has been fighting an injury, I think a hip injury. And so he's been very limited, mm. uh, even against uh, Michigan, where they played well. Um, so I'm excited. You know, I think the thing I fear is the transfer disease, um, that, you know, these guys, these young guys, more in Townsend look great for a year and then leave. So you know, I'm trying to temper my expectations, but kudos to Campy for a well-coached game against Michigan. Um, and then, you know, for, for, you know, it's been a rough stretch for the team. They're probably going to start 0-7. Um, they've got Oklahoma State today, and then they go into, you know. Like, uh, MSU, right. Yeah, we're probably, you know, a top three team at this point uh, once the rankings get. Interestingly, the Spartans were taken uh, to the brink last night against uh, Mercy. So good showing for uh, the Horizon League against two very, two tournament team big kind of opponents. So kudos to the Horizon League. It might have been a bit of a letdown with uh, the Spartans after they, I mean, I, I mean going to Cameron, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, there was no one there. I mean, let's get, you know, okay, yeah, but I mean, for them to do what they did, especially you know being ten points down and then coming back and just dominating Duke in in in, in the way they did, uh, really, I mean, and, and I'll tell you what, it it really does look like maybe Igo is as good a team as he's ever had at uh, um, East Lansing. Uh, um, you know, I, I, guess, I mean, the, uh, you know, usually he's much more of a half court guy, and and I mean that that that, that team was running up and down the court without uh, their transition game was incredible in that two game uh, the other night. Yep. So yeah, he's got a good team. I think like last year, a lot will rest on the health. Job. Um, you know, if he can stay healthy, that team will be very dangerous. Correct. So. Anything else in the college basketball world? I mean, it's awfully early yet, and schedules are a little weird this year. I get, well, everything's a little weird this year. Uh, yeah. So I guess it, it'll remain to be seen, but we will hit conference uh, schedules here pretty quick. No, I think with Oakland, I think with with the team that they have, uh, you know, I'm curious about how exactly, you know, now that they've gotten a couple of days of rest and, and, and whatever, um, uh, to be able to come back home uh, or at least play very locally against Michigan State. Uh, we'll see how that game goes. But to your point, you're going to get in the conference. Uh, you know, and it looks like University of Detroit Mercy is going to be a lot better than they have been in the past. Uh, so that's something to watch out for. Uh, and um, I, I, again, with Coach Campy, all these new pieces, and I'm just curious about how it all kind of turns out, uh, what, you know, at this point, especially after a, 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 what looks to be a fairly wingless uh, um, start to the schedule. So. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm optimistic for them. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I'm optimistic for them. I think, you know, they were preseason ranked, you know, middle of the um, and I think they'll hang around there. And I think, you know, if Moore and Townsend and Young continue to develop the way that they have, you know, and guys like Oladapo, Kangu, and Williams can maintain what they did last year or grow even a little bit, particularly in Oladapo and Kangu's case, 
I think they've got a team that could maybe, you know, get a bye in the first round or, or what have you in the Horizon League tournament. They could threaten for a three seed, four seed kind of thing. So I think this year could be uh, could be a good season for them. So and I think it's good to play the caliber of opponent to play. Other Horizon League teams will not have the chance to play Purdue, Michigan, and Xavier. Um, those are, you know, Michigan's going to be, you know, a tournament team for sure. And the other two could potentially sneak in as well. So um, it's good for them to get that experience. Yeah, and that's been the strategy all along. It's a, yeah. a decent power five team too, so. Mm-hmm. So I, all I was going to say is, is I just wanted to echo Brandon's point on the uh, transfer portal. That's the only thing that concerns me because, like, how do you look beyond the current season? Like a, like a kid like Moore, how long does he stay on the Golden Grizzlies? Um, and it's just disappointing. And the other question I have, has anyone fed uh, Blake Lampman a sandwich yet? Yeah. Darn it. <laughs> Anyway, um, the only thing that keep, might keep Jalen Moore here is that he's undersized. Um, mm-hmm. That might be the only saving grace. It's really a great point, though. I mean, that whole transfer portal—I I know. I, I kind of put that out of my mind watching that game the other day. I'm like, and then now you bring it up, I'm like, oh, God. <laughs> look, this is what I do. I crush people's souls. No, I mean, well, I mean, Brandon was the first one. I mean, you're sitting there talking about it, some optimism, and then he throws that big <laughs> bucket of water all over me. Jeez. <laughs> so we'll obviously stay on top of that uh, as uh, as we uh, wrap up 2020 and get into 2021, because I'm guessing we probably won't uh, record again until – uh, after this fine year has concluded. But in any case, uh, staying in the realm of college, it's been very interesting years uh, for U of M and MSU uh, for football. Um, Harbaugh should be on his last legs here. Uh, and, yeah, I don't even know where to start. You know, you know. by the way, I was going to transition, you know, before I thought maybe we go from the Lions to Michigan football, and I thought, you know, they would talk about Brandon uh, Combs being the uh, coach, a special uh, teams coach, being the head coach, which, of course, then the question was, well, if you're, uh, how many good special teams coaches have there been? And, of course, then I would have alluded to John Harbaugh, the head coach mm. of the Ravens, which, of course, then I would have asked, wait, does John Harbaugh have a brother, maybe, or any siblings that are out there? And then that would have transitioned us into, been very oh, clever. wait a second, that's right, Michigan Wolverine. Eek. Yuck. <laughs> and that, my friends, we're clearing the way. We're, we're, we're parting the water here for Brandon to go forward. Brandon, I, I mean, the I, microphone. I, I don't think I'm going to deliver what you're looking for. I just, please leave. <laughs> Please, as soon as possible. I mean, <laughs> just go. I mean, it, this is sad. Um, you were uh, excited, overjoyed, fist pumping, a double overtime, triple overtime win over Rutgers. Uh, I will remind the, the folks joining us that they beat Rutgers um, by 67 points a few years ago. Um, a game in which I probably could have put up, you know, Maybe four yards per carry. Um, uh, we were we were excited. We were overjoyed. You know, jumping up and down when we beat Rutgers. Um, 
Uh, if they play Ohio State, they will lose by a hundred. Um, <laughs> I he just needs to just go, and you know, I I don't think Jim Harbaugh is a bad coach, um, but this is not working. This is broken. This is this is this is failure. Uh, this is just total total failure. And why Don Brown has a job? Um, Doctor Blitz, go please go back to the uh, the ACC or wherever you know, whatever hole we found you in. Um, go Blitz there. Because um, you know you can't beat mediocre Big Ten opponents anymore with good little strategies. So please leave. Just go. You know what comedian to me though is I'm watching this team and I'm watching, but I, I'm I'm really holding in on Jim Harbaugh, and and I know no one. I, I, mind you, I haven't, don't really listen to local radio much anymore. Uh, actually, I don't listen to it at all. Um, but 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 the, the but but the thing is, and I don't think it's been talked about. I'm trying to figure out what is going on with Jim Harbaugh because this is not the same guy that they brought in. Something happened along the way. I don't want to get into the business of speculating what it is. I just want to make sure that I, I, I convey to you know you guys and, and you know the people listening to this that th- there is something off with Jim Harbaugh. And above anything else, I, I'm I'm concerned about Jim Harbaugh the person, and and less concerned about. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, the coach at this point. Um, yeah, I think that's yeah. Your your point um, has been, I think, you know, pretty fairly and widely made by a few folks. Um, and she just doesn't look like the same guy. I would imagine it's a combination of things, um, a mix of you know, uh, just the boosters, the pressure from boosters and fundraisers at U of M, and his own antics and kind of the way that. He, he ran the program in the first few years very bombastically. Um, probably didn't have a lot of fans and a very stodgy, an old-school booster fundraiser crowd. But I think the guy got his spirit broken a couple times. Um, first by Michigan State in that punt. <laughs> and then Urban Meyer removed his soul um, over and over and over again. And I just think kind of broke it. And, you know... I just I don't think he'd ever experienced a situation where he couldn't just just could not be the team, and I think those Ohio State games really just doomed his career here. Mm-hmm. I, I I don't know if it's something more though that that and I I don't want to get too far down that road. I don't think I fair to anyone, uh, and certainly I'm not a doctor or anything. But I'm 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 curious about how the Jim Harbaugh. Uh, what the story will be told at not only, you know, as of the last couple of years, but going forward, that's the call I'm, I'm getting at. So, yeah. um, but, and then, you know, transitioning over to Michigan state, um, we have not talked about them a whole lot. The Mel Tucker era has, it's been really bizarre. Well, let's just put it out there. It's been really, really bizarre where, yeah, you know, it didn't make any sense to get, you know, torn up by Rutgers, you know, in, in that first game. Then you come back, you you win against Michigan, uh, and then you lose a few games. Then you win, uh, you know, against Northwestern. Uh, you, you didn't play last week because your game got canceled. But I, I'll tell you, it, it's been all over the board. And I, you know, you want to take 2020 and that's, you know, standard for 2020 being all over the board. But uh, I, I'm very and I think everything I'll say is that I don't think Mark D'Antonio, you know, left a whole lot of talent on the shelf for Mel Tucker uh, at, at all. So I, I give him credit just being able to do what he's done this far. Uh, 
but I'm I, I'm really more intrigued by Michigan State than I have been in in many years from the standpoint of just the just just the wackiness of 2020 in their record. So. Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see what he does. You know, he never really had the opportunity to build at Colorado because he left after a year. Uh, and had a very similar season in Colorado, some ups and some really bad downs. Uh, and seeing the same this year, um, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt until I see, you know, that he can't string anything, you know, that he, that he can't get it done because D'Antonio left him nothing. And so um, I'm going to give the guy a shot, I think. You know, good for him. You know, the Michigan game, good. Good first win, signature win, and then um, you know beating Northwestern. You know, kudos to him. Northwestern's a good team. I don't think they were as good as they were ranked. I think that was foolishness, um, but they're still a good team. So kudos to him, and I'd just be interesting to see what he does in year two, year three. You know, and yep. it's quite possible that Michigan State has another good run here against Michigan because they'll have at least a year start on the re- on a rebuild. So. Yep. So I did want to touch very quickly on baseball. Um, not a lot going on. Winter meetings are start next week. Um, Tigers added some prospects that were expected to the 40-man. They tendered everybody who was in arbitration, which is nine different players. And, um, and they're actually in a pretty good financial spot at this point with Zimmerman's contract coming off. I, I took a look at that yesterday. And, you know, they're, they're, they're set up for some – positive momentum only question i have for you guys in the tigers world is what do you want to see them do this offseason at a very very high level i think on my side what i want them to do is go out and uh, bring in some players that would indicate that they're wanting to be competitive this season and i think you know they they did that somewhat last season but i think they need to go farther uh, uh, with that, uh, uh, whether it's, you know, um, uh, uh, you know, continue to build on what they, you know, who, who they signed last year, or, you know, even with the, another, you know, set of one year contracts or, you know, going out, maybe, maybe making a bit of a splash. Uh, we talked a little bit about this in the last show where, you know, there's been a little bit of a question about Chris Tillich's uh, commitment. And I think we all kind of questioned that particular opinion. But uh, the, the, the general point I would make is that you, there, there needs to be like a signature signing like we had before, whether it be, you know, a little less Juan Gonzalez and more of Pudge Rodriguez. Pudge Rodriguez. Yeah. Totally what I was thinking. Brandon? I mean, it'll be interesting if this year is the year for that or if next year is the year for that. Um, I tend to believe next year. Uh, I think they're going to be operating in that short-term contract space again. It'll be interesting to see if they kind of go back to the well on some of these guys, like Romine and Scope, uh, or if they move on and try to get a little more aggressive. You know, Carlos Santana's out there, a little bit bigger bat. Um, you know, a few other guys are out there. Um, they've got definitely have some juice on a short-term deal, so – you know, I think they need to do almost precisely what they did last year um, and maybe upgrade a little bit at the pitching position um, in terms of their signings. Yeah. You know, bare minimum, they have to do what they did last year. Um, that's no question. Uh, a handful of veteran guys who can come in and just play good baseball. Uh, and if it's on one-year deals, then so be it. I think it may be time for that splash signing. Now, I, I looked over the list of free agents there's one or two out there who might be that guy. 
Um, and maybe the, that guy's not out there, but there's certainly plenty of talent out there for one or two year deals mm-hmm. um, that the Tigers could could scoop up. So it'll be interesting to see again winter meetings this week, and we'll see we'll see what happens. So I really hope they bring Romine back. Yeah, I tend to doubt that they're going to do that. Um, though I don't know. I, I don't know. There are some other catchers out there, including James McCann. Um, and, um, and, and some other guys, you know, Kirk Sally and, you know, other guys were very solid defensive catchers and then that they could pair with Jake Rogers. Cause I really think they're going to just give him a shot this year and just see what happens. Yeah, but, but I'd like to see, uh, uh, uh scope and, and CJ Chrome brought, brought back to be honest with you, even if again, it's it one year deals, but again, but I don't, and I, I admit I haven't had time to even, you know, find out who my big splash free agent would be, but, but at some point you've, you've got to do that particular piece because at that point you're telling the major leagues and all the players you are committed at that point. So. Well, I mean, if they're, if they're going to make the splash, I mean, I think the, the, I don't know. I don't think they're going to spend the money again, but it would clear. I think it would have to be Springer, right? Uh, out and lock down, you know, a veteran outfielder with a bat. You know, I, I would think, you know, I mean, he's going to cost you like 28 million, 30 million dollars. Yeah. They're not going to spend that money. Um, but, but I mean, you know, when you look at the list of free agents, I mean, he was the name that popped out to me. I mean, I'm a huge uh, Michael Brantley fan. I don't know that he's the splash in that way anymore because of his injury trouble, but they wanted to take a flyer on him. I'd be thrilled. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, yeah. Th- that is a good one. I mean, that 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 that's a, a decent one, you know, and, and again, he would be a good person to put in our outfield that can't play any more than 100 games. So, um <laughs> Well, that's that's, right. that's what we're uh, that's what we're here with. Yeah, I mean that's uh, yeah we got yeah. that's the bargain bin at uh, you know Best Buy. <laughs> Indeed. Um, so anyway, we'll definitely be staying uh, on top of that. And uh, Alex Avila is available, also, by the way. Anyway. Um, you know, actually, who I like, who in an ideal world I would have liked them to get, but they can't because Cabrera can't play in the field. Is Nelson Cruz? Um, mm, yeah, my man, uh, my man Miguel can't uh, can't get out of there. Let's not, yeah, let's not do that. So, um, but the other thing I know we wanted to touch on was Theo Epstein stepping down from the Cubs, and. Uh, Yes, Adam. You know, and I was trying to find the quote that he had, and I, I can't seem to find the darn quote that he made. But basically, uh, and it kind of alludes to the same point that Brandon alluded to, is that basically Theo Epstein, he's stepping down from the second team that he's taken to the World Series. He's got another epic team, if you will, between the Red Sox and now the Cubs. And you would think logically that, and especially his commentary in so many words, he said, we've got to do something with the game of baseball to make it watchable. Uh, And Brandon, you alluded to this on our last show is the fact that baseball right now is almost unwatchable on television, especially at the playoffs because of the length of the game, because of the period of time that there's absolutely no action between pitches. Uh, And especially now based on how things are going with everything being home run or strikeout, 
Uh, and that was, I think, what Theo Epstein was getting at, which, of course, then people started saying, well, maybe he would be the next commissioner of baseball. But, of course, that's very Pollyanna idealistic, in all honesty. So, Yeah. You know, I, I, I certainly think that's a contributing factor. But, I mean, he, you know, these high-level GMs, you know, they, they weave these these kind of decision-making paths that eventually lead to, you know, some really hardcore decisions. And if you look at the Cubs, like, I mean, they, they could go in a million different directions in the next couple of years. And I think he basically was just saying, I've had my turn and someone else needs to come in here and figure out the mess of what to do with all these guys. You know, mm-hmm. you got to decide who to bet on and who to give up on. And uh, just made some moves the other day, um, maybe with Bryant. Uh, I, I don't. I don't remember the headline, but I think they actually just already made a couple of those moves, and so I think he was just walking away, you know, not knowing that you know he wanted to uh, untangle, you know, where that that uh, franchise is. And, and that is actually the reason why he stepped down this year and not next, because his exactly. contract runs through next year. But because exactly. there were so many decisions to be made now, he wanted to let, um, you know, the the future uh, Jed Hoyer uh, actually make those those decisions. Right. And, and, you know, Epstein, who, who's very locked into certain ways of doing things, and look, he won with the Red Sox and the Cubs, the two most um, unfortunate franchises at the time in terms of winning World Series, pretty much, um, at least, you know, in this century um, and most of last century. Um, so, you know, he's he can do whatever he wants at this point in terms of baseball. And so if there is a guy out there who could find a way to become the commissioner, I think he, he is the guy. And it is kind of Pollyanna. I, I, I don't disagree because you know, I think Manfred will you know, clutch onto that position uh, and hold it to his bosom and uh, call it George and rock it back and forth and everything. But, <laughs> you know, I think – I think, and I, I read the letter that Epstein wrote to the Cubs community. Wonderful, wonderful letter. He clearly cares very, very deeply about the organization, is very proud, as he should be, of the work they did, and then is also stepping into the nonprofit world, which his brother is big into. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it, he's going to recharge his batteries and then just pop up somewhere. Um, he's more than welcome to come here. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, you know, and we'll see what happens from that. But boy, wouldn't it be nice if he could be one of those guys who could help transform baseball back into the game that we want it to be. Yep. And and it, I'm not saying that would be easy, but it, I do believe it's doable. So. Oh, and and I, I to be honest with you, I think it's absolutely necessary. That that's oh, the, where I, I think from from a baseball standpoint and. I mean, sit in there and try. I mean, I thought the you know the playoffs were all right and whatever. And I mean, there was a you know the you know the one exciting game there on a Saturday night uh, uh, there in the World Series. But the point being is that it, it was very unwatchable. And someone somewhere needs to understand that this is not heading in a good direction. And there's no better person in my mind that can get things going in a better direction than Theo Epstein. And, and I would hope that ownership across baseball would understand that they don't need a, a hand puppet in Manfred. They need someone who's actually going to guide the direction of this great game. And, and because if they don't, 
Oh, it, it will be horrendous. It really will be horrendous. And I, I know, oh, oh, Adam, you, you can't, you know, sit there and be, you know, a negative Nancy on baseball because baseball will prevail. Well, uh, I have, I'm sorry to say, but I think if you take on that, that attitude, you're in trouble. So. Mm-hmm. No doubt. So um, I know we also wanted to uh, jump into the Masters. Um, things did not go well from a TV ratings standpoint. Um, just wanted to kind of get your uh, your takes on that. One good uh, note, Bryson DeChambeau, which we talked about on the oh, last right. show. So I'm he sorry, had a I headache. Said that. He had a headache that was dizzy and he couldn't play golf. So, oh well, too bad for him. Uh, but you know, we we talked. You know, we talked on the last show. I gave you five names, and three names did really well. So you had the Dustin Johnson. He ended up, you know, and, and I'll go back to him in a minute. But uh, Justin Thomas did really well. Uh, and, and, you know, John Rahm had a really good one, didn't play as well as he needed to on Sunday. And uh, uh, Janine Shoffley and, and uh, um, uh, Patrick Cantlay really hung in there for quite a while. And then they kind of dropped off there on Sunday. But Dustin Johnson was absolutely incredible. I mean, and, and I mean, from tee to green uh, and on the green. And the thing that's amazing to me, guys, is that this guy – He's always been incredible off the tee from tee to green, but then the green, you know, playing around the green and and putting has always been a challenge. And he has transformed his game to the point where his putting and his his touch around the greens is actually almost as good as his off the tee game, which is incredible. Uh, and and it really speaks uh, volumes about where his game is at. And being it, he is in his mid-30s uh, and so much, many good years in front of him, I'm excited to figure out how, how this will work out, uh, even though I think golf is as competitive as it's ever been. So, Yeah, this was an interesting year for me for the Masters. I watched far less of it. I guess in keeping, you know, the broader trends, you know, in years past, typically I watch a lot of the Masters. Um, you know, I, it just – you know, you typically, I mean, it's the first, um, <clears throat> you know, the first major. And so I'm always, you know, I think a lot of folks are more kind of thirsty to watch golf at that point, you know, in April. And I just, I just couldn't get into it. I'm happy that Johnson won. Uh, it was nice to see McElroy and Kepka play well. Uh, that, that bodes well for, you know, next year. Uh, seeing them both play well, you know, in terms of just the overall competition. But uh, I was, you know, just kind of generally uh, unenthused by this year and, you know, Johnson played very well and uh, very deserving of praise there. But I don't know. I didn't. I didn't get into it much this year. I did not really spend any given day watching much. I watched poked around a little bit on Sunday. But. I think what was amazing is that, and we alluded a little bit to this on the last show too, was how is this course going to play? And I think a large part of the ratings had to do not only with the timing, but the way the course played. There wasn't the wind that they usually would have in April. It, you know, the, you did, the course was not in the condition that you would expect it to be. Yeah. 
and I think in general, um, and, and the Greens specifically, did not play uh, on how the, uh, the traditional viewer of the Masters would expect, right. uh, both from a speed standpoint and them not really having the amount of action that they would usually have. And that was something that uh, uh, Tiger Woods alluded to quite a bit. He, he was really amazed how different the course played at this time of year versus, uh, versus uh, uh, April when it usually does get played. And I think that does have a large part to do. And of course, just the timing of it really just was not great for the Masters. Great that they played it. Not so great the timing of it, but it's understandable based on how 2020 was. And good for Tiger. Thank, thank you, Tiger, for living for all golfers out there with your 10. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for living for us and being for us. I I can't tell you how appreciative I am for that. That was brought me a lot of joy. <laughs> it happens uh, to the best of them. If Brandon had an island, Tom Brady, Tiger Woods, so we'll keep on adding to the island that would be on their show. So, all right. Any other things that we wanted to uh, touch on before we wrap up? Nope. Nope. I'm good here. All right. Uh, I guess just one, <clears throat> one really quick thing. I mean, interesting how things are shaping up in the NFL in terms of teams that actually compete. We very seldom talk about it, but Steelers 11 and 0. Oh yeah, good point. And uh, have a reasonable chance at uh, 16 and 0 season. I mean, uh, they're looking pretty good. I still think the Chiefs may be the superior team, but uh, Steelers got a path. I'll tell you where the Steelers are one up in my mind. Uh, with the um, uh, with the Chiefs is I think I think the the, the the Steelers play with a chip on their shoulder. They're a little more um, uh, th- just the way that they uh, they play. Granted, the uh, injury to Dupree the other uh, day with the torn uh, AC, uh, you know, the, the leg injury uh, is not going to really bode well very well for the, the for the Steelers. But I think they, they play with a little bit of a, a chip on their shoulder, uh, and I think they're you know the ability to punch back, if you will. Uh, with um, uh, the, the you know with the Steelers against the Chiefs, the one thing I will say though is that and, and the concern I have about the Steelers when they get to the playoffs is that I will tell you we talk about Max Stafford. Uh, Max Stafford still is playing at a very very good level. Uh, ben Roethlisberger is not. I mean they've done incredible with his uh, with this team this year, considering that Ben Roethlisberger I don't believe is playing nearly at the level that that, that we're used to. So no. He, he really has fallen back into the true game manager territory. Um, and that's what I think ultimately dooms them against the Chiefs is that unless their defense really contains Mahomes, just the Chiefs' natural scoring output, I think the struggles struggle to match. Yeah, and I think in the, uh, you know, you, when you talk about the uh, uh, AFC, I mean, those are definitely the two teams. When you talk about the NFC, I, I guess it'll be the Saints. Granted, we don't know exactly what will happen. I mean, I think for that to happen, there has to be one dramatic return, if you will, from uh, 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 Drew Brees. Uh, uh, because, and, and I mean, when you think about it, I mean, outside of, of, of the Saints, I don't really think deep much of the Bucks, uh, of, of the Buccaneers. I think that they'll, they'll, they'll fade. Uh, and, and I mean, I don't know, the Packers are just, I, I, I think they're another team that I don't think stand up very tall against very good teams at all. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see how they handle better competition. 
Um, I still believe that, you know, with a decent enough team, Russell Wilson's very dangerous uh, in the playoffs. And so, uh, you know, I would look at the Seahawks and, you know, I want to give the Packers a little bit of the benefit of the doubt this year. I think they're better this year than they were last year. I thought their record was inflated last year. I know, Adam, you thought the same. Um, I think they're a little bit better this year. Uh, but it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see, you know, the Rams can't figure out if they're good or bad. Um, so, you know, and then uh, then you got the Giants. So, you know, four and seven for the playoffs. So. <laughs> Well, there'll definitely be plenty to talk about next time we're on uh, in the football world as well, because as I mentioned a little bit earlier, I expect that um, we'll, uh, you know, we won't be back on until 2021, um, for which I can, I think, speak for everyone in the world and say good riddance to 2020. Um, (laughs) So we got that going for us. Uh, But with that said, I mean, in January, there's just going to be all kinds of things going on. So I do look forward to that and maybe just maybe having some level of normalcy uh, next season. It's not going to be 100% normal, I don't think. Um, I think we'll get closer. Um, sad thing is, I don't think we're going to see opening days like we have in the past. I don't think we're going to see a lot of those things. Um, but I think we're going to get incrementally closer and closer and hopefully by uh, midsummer. I think certainly no later than August, hopefully, unless people are really, really dumb, we'll be back to um, we'll be back to a, a pretty solid normal. So with that said though, it gives us plenty to talk about. So any parting thoughts for twenty twenty? None here. Happy New Year. Bye. <laughs> And with that note, it is time to wrap things up for this edition of the Saturday Morning Sports Emporium. For Brandon Lee and Adam Swenson, my name's Justin Lee. Happy holidays, everybody. Happy New Year, and we'll see you soon.